I want to share a very important word with you today. In fact, let me say it again. This is the beginning. I'm starting a series. It'll probably be three weeks long. But I want to talk to you today about something that's going on in the world that is going to affect your life, and it probably already has. And that is faith under attack. Do you know that your faith is under attack right now? Your faith right now is under attack. In fact, Satan is now going all out in a desperate attempt to get as many Christians as possible, as many, as many professing Christians, church attenders as possible to abandon their faith in Jesus. He's clever. Don't think the devil is stupid. He's smart. In fact, without the Holy Spirit in you, he's smarter than you. He is powerful. Don't think the devil is weak. Without the Spirit of God in you, he's more powerful than you. He's determined and he is desperate because he can see the signs of the times just like everybody else can. He knows that the end is near and he's doing everything he can to get people to abandon their faith. Now, I know what some of you are thinking today. You're thinking, you know, I would never abandon my faith, Pastor. Uh, I would never do that. Well, I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through 12 pretty quickly today because we want to get the gist. We want to start off with the gist of this passage of Scripture. It says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as an example for us. So that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. I want you to know that this message bothers me because I see with my eyes people abandoning their faith step by step, moment by moment, link by link, the church in general and individuals abandoning their faith. People say, I would never abandon my faith. That, that wouldn't be me. And I'm reminded of Peter who stood up and said, Lord, I'll never deny you. And Jesus said, you know what? By the time the cock crows tomorrow, you'll deny me three times. Don't say it can't be me. 
It is a warning. Notice what the passage has said. It said all of them, the children of Israel, all of our fathers were together. They ate the same manna. They saw the same cloud. They crossed the same Red Sea. And yet most of them abandoned their faith in God. Most of them were ready to turn back and go back to Egypt. And, and the, the writer is telling us this is written for you who live during the end of the age that you would be aware that there is coming a time, coming a spirit that's trying to sweep you back into Egypt. And if you're not careful, it will take you back where you came from. That's why he says, anyone who thinks they stand, you better take heed because you might be falling and you don't even realize it. Today, we're starting to see prominent Christians all over the world who are not just privately, but publicly abandoning their faith. There are pastors who have a public uh, movement. They go on social media, they write books, they tell stories, they speak at events about how they used to be pastors, but they've come to the conclusion that God's not real and they don't serve him anymore. There are worship leaders who uh, uh, have done the same thing. They have stood up to declare that all the songs they sing were, were just lies and it was never true and they've come to the conclusion that God does not exist anymore. I have felt compelled to come before you and talk to you and warn you and let you know so that you could be aware, so that you could know the work of the devil in your own life, so that you could see that he's clever, he's careful, he's going in, in certain ways looking like an angel of light, like he's bringing you to some sort of new conclusions about things, yet all the while he can be pulling you back. And for the next three weeks, I want to talk to you about how he's doing that so you'll be aware. You see, if you know the work of the devil, then when you hear it, when you see it, when it comes on social media, you're not moved by it. You can identify it and say, yep, that's the enemy. I'm not buying into that garbage. I'm believing what God's word says, and I'm staying true. I'm holding on to my faith. Amen? I don't know if you've noticed, but there is a spirit in the world today. There is a spirit in the world today that is pulling people out of church, telling people that miracles don't exist. There's a spirit in the church today that says the baptism in the Holy Spirit isn't real. There's a spirit in the church today that says you don't really need to go to church. It doesn't really matter. Listen, I can't, for all the Christians out there who say you don't have to go to church, that you don't need the local church, that the, the local church is just out for your money and a bad place to be. I don't know how you can read the New Testament and have the spirit of the living God live within you and say you don't need the church. It's everywhere in there. You need the church. In, the, in fact, the, the, the very uh, proof that you need the church is that you don't think you need the church. Because if you went to church, you'd be taught and you'd learn and you'd know that you do need the local church. I'm here to tell you, I love the local church. If I wasn't the pastor, I'd go to church. And if the only church that was around was a little too stuffy and a little too religious for me, I'd still go to church. And if the only church around was so loose they came in shorts and sat on couches... I'd still go to church if they only spoke in Spanish and that was the only church I could go to. I'd still go to church because I believe in the local church. But there is a spirit attacking the church today, attacking Christians today, telling you don't need the Holy Spirit. You don't need the church. You don't need teaching. You don't have to do those kind of things. Just uh, stay away from all that and do Christianity on your own. And the devil is working very hard, but I'm here today to tell you that you can endure. You can fight the good fight. You can finish the course. You can keep the faith. You, while others around you may fall, you can stand firm until the very end. 
In 2 Timothy, Paul wrote these words, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Let me just stop right there. Many Christians never get what I'm saying because their faith is based upon what God can do for them. When Paul said it this way, Lord, I'm yours, pour me out like a drink offering. What does that mean? They would take something valuable and they would pour it out as if it was wasted. You remember they, they anointed Jesus with expensive perfume and people complained. They said, you could have taken that money or that perfume, you could have sold it and given it uh, the money to the poor as if God was broke and needed our money. No, what it means is that you're willing to offer yourself up. And people might say, Mylon, your life's a waste. Look at the money you could have uh, made. Look at the things you could have done. Look at the, the life that you could have had. And I would say, Lord, my life is a drink offering. Pour it out as you want. Amen. Use the days, the time, whatever I have, I want you to use it for your glory. Paul said, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. Say it with me. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. Say it with me. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Say it with me. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also who long for his appearing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So I'm here today. I want to help you overcome the attack on your faith. Be aware. Know the truth. Live in the truth. You see, there is going to be a lot of Christians who will turn away from God in the coming years, some have already done it. They don't go to church anymore, and some of them have completely abandoned faith in God at all. Some of them, uh, they've abandoned the church, and they've abandoned uh, uh, a lot of uh, aspects of the Bible. They're still holding on. They still believe in God, but the devil's working on them. He's going to try to get them to go to the other side. And I'm going to talk to you about ways that the devil can sneak into your life, get a little, a little foothold into your life, and try to convince you to pull away from your faith and he does it slowly most of the time and today I want to talk to you about how the devil uses trials and difficulties in your life to try to take your faith away from you it's not so much that Satan causes trials in our lives but he lies to us through the midst of them he tells us things and it looks something like this I thought the Christian life was supposed to be an easy life I thought God was gonna make my dreams come true I thought God was supposed to answer my prayers. I don't understand how God could let something this terrible happen to me. Come on, we're getting down to where we live now, ain't we? A lot of people have taken the next step, and the question looks like this. How could a loving God allow such horrible things to happen in the world? You see, this starts off on the wrong foot from the very beginning. This is the assumption that God exists to make your life easy and trouble-free. That he uses his power to give you whatever you want. And so you will never face anything really difficult. You will never face any real challenges. So Satan lies to you during these times. He says things like, there is no God. You see, this is proof. How could a good God let this happen to you? How could a good God allow you to go through these things? How could a good God not give you the man of your dreams or the woman of your dreams or the baby of your dreams or the job of your dreams? You've been praying, you've been asking, and God hasn't given it to you. The truth is there is no God. That's the lie of the devil. 
And if he can't convince you there is no God, he will tell you that God doesn't care about you. Yeah, there's a God, and that's even worse because he's a God who hates you. He doesn't care about you. He has the power to change things in your life and give you what you want, but he doesn't care about you. So he allows all these difficult and horrible things to happen to you. And then he lies and says, God's not good. He's evil. How could he allow evil to happen in your life? How could he allow evil to happen in the world? These questions seem reasonable at first glance. That is until we realize they're based on deceptions and lies. You see, when you start trying to figure out God with your brain, you get messed up. When you start trying to serve God with your feelings, you get messed up. I want to help you today because if you're serving God from an intellectual perspective where you have to understand everything, you're in for a difficult time because God's ways are above human wisdom and they're not always going to make sense. And sometimes you just got to take the word for what it says and go with that. And a lot of times, in fact, there's a new video going around where somebody will say, don't you wish that God would just come into your bedroom and sit down next to you in the chair and explain to you everything that's going on. And my comment, my response to that is always the same. If Jesus came into your bedroom and sat down next to you, you know what he'd say? Probably two words, trust me. That'd be it. Because God expects you to trust him. And if you have to have all the answers, if everything has to add up in your head, if you're serving God from your head, you're going to have a hard time. Not only that, but if you're serving God from emotion, you're going to have a difficult time. A lot of Christians are serving God based on how they feel. That's why they're not in church this morning, because they didn't feel like coming. They don't feel like reading. They don't feel like doing. They blame the Holy Spirit for everything. Can I tell you, the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-discipline. You know why you need self-discipline? Because yourself without discipline is a mess. And you need the Holy Spirit to make you do things that you know you should do. Man, it's a good thing you don't treat your job like that and go to work whenever you feel like it. You wouldn't have one. It's a good thing you don't pay your electric bill when you feel like it. I have never once sat down to pay an electric bill when I felt like it. Man, I just really want to give Pertinalis Electric my money. That's going to be awesome today. Woo! Hallelujah. You know why I do it? Discipline. You learn there are consequences. And we need the discipline of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you can't live a Christian life by your emotions. You've got to live it by faith in the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Do the Word of God. Sometimes it won't make sense to your brain. Sometimes it won't make sense to your emotions. But you do it because you have faith in the Word of God. You see, the Christian life is not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be meaningful. Let me say that again. The Christian life is not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be meaningful. It's supposed to have a significance to it. You're here because God is using you for his glory. There's a work to be done. People need your life. Jesus said, let your light shine in front of people that they may see your life, your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. You know why God didn't save you and take you straight to heaven? Because he wants you to live in front of people a life that glorifies God, that shows them Jesus, a life that points them to Christ. That won't always be an easy life, but it has a purpose. It has a meaning in it. You see, when you get that, you can get up in the morning, even when you don't feel like it, and do what you know you're supposed to do. You can get up in the morning, even when you don't feel like it, and you can do what God called you to do because you're not living for ease. You're living for purpose. Psalms 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Let me say that again. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Come on, somebody. 
John 16, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. Glory to his name. James 1, 2 through 4, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. What? Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you will be made perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something today. God is not in the business of making things easy. He's in the business of making you strong. Come on, somebody. God is not in the business of making your life easy. He's in the business of making you strong. And you know what's going to make you strong? When you've gone through some stuff, come on. When you have faced some temptations and some trials and you had some sleepless nights and you prayed till you couldn't pray no more and you trusted God through it and in the end you came out on top. The next time you face a difficulty, you remember what God had done in your past. You take that with you. You're stronger than you were yesterday. You're wiser than you were because God is making you better through trials. This is the difference. Christians should know, we should realize that when difficulties come our way, God is using them to make us better because we're not living a life of ease, but a life of significance and meaning. God is not trying to make your dreams come true either. He's trying to make his will come to pass. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let me explain that to you. If your desire is the Lord, he will give you your desires. If your desire is the Lord, he will give you your desires. Those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness shall be filled. If God is your desire, you're going to get God. Now, if God is not your desire, you're going to chase after whatever you're chasing after. Maybe you'll get it. Maybe you won't. You know, the worst thing in the world is not chasing after something you don't get in the world. It's chasing after it and then getting it and realizing how, how meaningless it is. Come on. Are you with me today? God is not trying to make your dreams come true. Many of us today have the wrong idea about our life and what God wants to do with our life and what we should do. People say, well, it's my life. Well, did you give it to Jesus or not? Do you say I gave my life to Jesus and then turn around and say it's my life? Well, whose is it? Is it God's or is it yours? Because it can't be both. There can't be two lords to your life. There's, you get in my car today, there's only one steering wheel. There's only one brake and one gas. Although Kathy would like to have a brake on her side, it's not. It's on mine. And I'm driving. And I will weave in and out of traffic whenever I want. Because there's only one driver. And two people can't drive your life. Either God's in charge or you're in charge. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sometimes in my life, I've had ideas about what should happen in my life, but you know, I've been through some stuff, Pastor Kane, and I'm, I'm to a point where I say, God, I don't even know what's best for me. Let your will be done. Just let your will be done. I'm just trusting you. And I truly believe, I want you to listen to this. I truly believe that no one ever missed God by sitting on their hands and saying, Lord, do what you want to do. I'm just stepping back and God, you just do what you want to do. You will not miss God if you trust him. Come on. Hallelujah. Even Jesus said it this way, not my will, but yours be done. Some people, y'all been praying and you say, God ain't answering my prayer. Well, 1 John 5, 14 says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything 
according to his will, he hears us. Let me say that again. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. That means if you ask something that's not according to his will, he's not going to give it to you. If you raise kids, you know what it's like for them to want something. And they have their idea, they have their dreams about what they want. But you as a parent may decide they don't need it. Because you are grown and more experienced and you know better and you're the one driving the car. And so you say, nope, I'm not giving that to you. Let me tell you a secret today that if God gave you everything you wanted, your life would blow up. Your head would explode. You, you'd get money and some of us would get so arrogant with money we wouldn't need anybody or anything anymore. We'd, our nose would be so high in the air we'd drown when it rained. That's how bad it would get. Some of you say, <laughs> boy, I'm praying God will send me a husband or a wife. And, and God's saying, you know what? Uh, I got some more work to do on you. I don't think I can do that to anybody. <laughs> I got to fix you first. Before I, I put you in somebody's heart. Can I tell you the truth? We have to trust our lives with God. God is not in the business of making our dreams come true. But in the business of making his will come to pass. And this is what you need to get. That God's will is better than your will. God's plan is better than your plan. God loves you so much and he sees things you don't see. And the Bible says that eye has never seen, ear has never heard. It's never ever even entered into the heart of man the good things that God has prepared for those who loved him. Have you ever stopped to just think about heaven and what heaven's going to be like and you just can't get there? It's just like I don't, I don't know what could be better than like Make this life but only perfect and no sickness and sorrow and death and pain. And it's still, it doesn't make sense in your brain. You know why? Because you have never conceived of how good being in the presence of God like that face to face with Jesus is going to be. You can't even imagine how good it's going to be. You see, when you start to realize that God's plan is better than yours, you'll stop telling God what your plan is and you'll start saying, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Come on. Hallelujah. You see, we understand that a selfish Christianity leads to disappointment. When I approach my faith with this mindset that somehow God is supposed to give me what I want and make my dreams come true, then when it doesn't happen, we abandon God. We get mad at God. God, why didn't you heal? God, why didn't you give me? God, why didn't you provide me? God, I thought you was going to make the church big. God, I thought you was going to give me this person and they married someone else. God, I thought I was going to have kids and I hadn't had kids. And Whatever it may be, some of the things are desperate and, and difficult to face. But in the end, we've got to have the kind of faith that says, not my will, but thine be done, Lord. My life is yours, and I'm laying it out before you, and I am not abandoning my faith. Even when my heart's not right, even when my head's not right, I'm not abandoning my faith. Hallelujah. The truth is this. People ask the question, why does God allow evil? Why didn't he do something about it? The truth is he has done something about it. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. How could God allow evil in the world? Well, let me give you the sort of apologetic answer to that. Christian apologetics is really just the way that we respond intellectually to the questions people have about faith. And it's important. It's not complete because we need the Holy Spirit to help us. But apologetics is important because it gives explanation to people who are seeking God. And so why in the world would a loving God allow evil in the world? And the answer is love. Love requires choice. It's as simple as that. 
Because love has to have choice. You understand? Without choice, it's not love. And when you have choice, that means you can do good or you can do evil. You can obey God or you can disobey God. God is not responsible for evil. We are. It was Satan who rebelled against God in the beginning. It was Satan who tempted Adam and Eve. It was Adam and Eve who ate of the fruit that they shouldn't have eaten of. And that sin has come into our life and is being passed down to us. And, and we often like to look at Adam and Eve and be upset. But the truth is, you've done enough sin on your own. You didn't need Adam and Eve to mess it up for you. Come on. Romans 5, 18 through 21. So then as through one transgression, this is Adam's sin in the garden, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through the act of one Righteous man, there resulted justification of all life to men. That is the person of Jesus Christ. What Adam did brought sin in. What Jesus did defeated sin upon the cross. And when he rose from the grave, he gave us the power over sin and death. And we can have it through faith in him. For as one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the sin or the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, God's grace increased even more. Hallelujah. Hallelujah today. Why does God allow evil? Because God allows love, and love has to allow the possibility of you to make your own choice, to make the wrong choice. Why doesn't God do something about evil in the world? He's done something. He sent Jesus. Let me tell you something that you need to know every day of your life. Understand this, Christian. There is a spirit realm and there is a natural realm. Today, when you hear my voice and you understand what I'm saying intellectually, you are connecting to my soul, not my spirit necessarily, but my soul. When you look at me, you're seeing my physical body. This is the natural realm, but deeper than that is the spirit realm. And we as God's children, we are spiritually alive. And we relate to spiritual things. And even now as I'm speaking, beyond the intellectual understanding, there's something deeper happening in you. As you hear this word, you're receiving it deep inside you. That is spiritual and it's happening. So there is a spirit realm and a natural realm. When Jesus came the first time, he came to perfect us spiritually. He came to bring the kingdom of God spiritually. And that's what we're living in today. We're living in a time where you and I are made perfect in the eyes of God because our spirits are perfect. The kingdom is perfect. The spirit of God is within you and you have been made righteous in God. The reason God calls you perfected now is because he judges you by your spirit. You have been made new in Christ Jesus and the spiritual part of you is perfect. But how many of you know that the fleshly part of you isn't perfect yet? That's right. You know why? Because Jesus is coming a second time. He's not done. His first time was to address the spiritual evil in the world. His second time, he's coming to address the physical, the natural evil that's in the world. That's why the Bible says when we see him face to face, we will be like him. Hallelujah. That's when the Bible says when the trumpet of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first, that we will be given immortal bodies. That this corruptible body will put on incorruption. Hallelujah. Are you ready for it today? Glory be to the name of the Lord. You see, God has done something about the evil in the world. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back again to finish what he started. Glory be to the name of the Lord. So today I want to leave you with some thoughts. Christian, be aware. You are not weak. You are strong. 
When trials come your way, you don't lose faith. No, trials strengthen your faith and trust in God. When trials come your way, you pray. You get closer to God. You trust him more. You don't question him even when you don't have the answers. You continue to have faith in God. You see, the trials have hardened you and made you tough. You and God have been through some stuff together. And because you have, you don't let trials knock you off your faith. They draw you closer to the Lord. The truth is you're not looking for a way out. You're a warrior looking for a fight. Let me say that again. When trouble comes your way, you're not a weenie looking for a way out. You're a warrior looking for a fight. Come on. You realize today that when you face trials, they bring out the warrior in you. You're ready to pray. You're ready to fight. You're ready to go after the enemy. It could happen to you. It could happen to your neighbor. But when trials come, you roll up your sleeves, put on the armor of God. You suit up. You step forward and you fight the fight of faith. Amen. Come on. Are you with me today? You're not looking for the easy road. You're looking for the road of significance. You're a warrior looking for a fight. Hallelujah. The truth is, children of God, you are not a spoiled brat. You're an overcomer. There are many people who are going to lose their faith because their Christianity is basically I'm a spoiled brat. My father loves me and he's supposed to give me every little thing I want and uh, life is supposed to be easy and as soon as there's any problem, God's going to take it away. Uh, but the truth is, the Bible says you're victorious, that you're an overcomer. If you're an overcomer, that means you had to have overcome something. If you're victorious, it means you had to be in a battle at some point. Are you catching this today? When trial comes, they don't knock you off your faith. They ensure that what God said in his word is true. You're going to have some fights. You're going to have some battles. You're going to have some difficulties. And when they come your way, you're not going to look at God and say, how could you? You're going to say, God, thanks for warning me. I'm ready for the battle. I'm ready for the fight. And so you gather up the armor of God and you get prepared because we like to think of ourselves as long distance runners. Christians run our race and we, we run the long distance run. But let me tell you something. It's more like we're the hurdlers because life keeps throwing stuff in front of us that we keep having to jump over and, and go around and, and defeat every problem. Do you know what? Your life is an example to people around you. People are watching you, Christian. Some of you today are going through difficulties for this one reason, because people are watching you and they're learning how a man and a woman of faith faces difficulties. They're watching you because they're watching you go through things without abandoning your faith. They've seen the famous preacher denying God. They've seen the famous worship leader online denying God, saying it's fake and they don't believe it anymore. They've watched friends and family slowly drift away from faith. They stop reading the Bible. They stop praying. They start doing things they shouldn't be doing. They're not going to church anymore, and you're watching them slowly drift away. They're watching those people, but they're also watching you as you face trials and difficulties and challenges, and they see a man and a woman of God who won't quit on their faith, who won't abandon their faith, who are standing strong in the midst of adversity. You're a light to them. You're an example to them. Let me leave you with one visual today. On my right hand, we have... What some people think is the Christian life, and it is, if you would picture it, the prim and proper prince who's never gone without. A person who's never seen a battle, whose hands are soft, whose clothes are never dirty. 
a person who has the perfection of everything. Life has given them everything they want. They're spoiled, and when they don't get what they want, they throw a little temper tantrum. They're over here, and they're mad at God because God didn't give them exactly what they wanted. They shake their fist at everyone around them because they expected their father to treat them like a little baby. No, God is not treating you like a, 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 an infant. God is not treating you like you're some kind of a spoiled brat. No, over here on the left is who you are. You are the warrior prince. You are the one who's faced the battle, whose life is marked with scars and bruises. Yes, you've got scars and bruises because you've been wounded. You've been in the fight. you got some stuff in your life. Over here, can you picture the one whose clothes are dirty, the one who has uh, scars on them, the one who stands firm in the faith? Even when everything and everyone around you falls, you stand firm. You're the one whose life has made a difference in the world. You're the one, not the one who's lived a life of ease, not the one who's never gotten dirty, not the one who is spoiled all the time, but the one who's been in the battle and come out on top. Amen. I don't know about you, but when things get going rough, I want that child of God who's been through the battle, who's got dirty clothes on, who's been through the mess of life. I want that one who has held on to their faith in the midst of trials. Hallelujah. Can I tell you today, you are the one who stands firm. You are the one who will not let go of your faith. You are the one that when trials come your way, you realize that you are more than victorious through Jesus Christ, your Savior and your Lord. Oh, you are living a life of significance because you have relentlessly held on to your faith. You refuse to let the devil rob you of your faith in God. Therefore, there is laid up for you a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, our righteous judge, will give us someday. Hallelujah. Be prepared, church. There's coming a time where you're going to be in the minority more and more. Whereas you as a believing Christian who believes the Bible, who trusts in God, who believes in miracles, who goes to a local church and participate, you who gives money to help support the ministry, you who volunteers and works, you who loves your neighbor even when they treat you like an enemy, you who hold on to the word of God, you're going to become the minority more and more. And the rhetoric against you will increase and the attacks against you will increase and there will be many who don't have a deep relationship with God who will begin to abandon their faith. But you will hold strong. You will not let go. Though everyone around you may fall, if you're the only one left, you're going to hold on. You're going to say, I have run my race. I finished my course. I am keeping the faith. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for every soul that's in here today. Every one of us are under an attack of the enemy. He's trying to convince us God's not real. Church is a waste of time. Don't read your Bible. You know what it says anyway. Life is short. Get out and live and enjoy yourself. Don't waste your life pouring yourself out like a drink offering for the Lord. Enjoy the good things. While you can, you don't know how long you'll have, just enjoy the good things. To some, the devil's attack is simply this, God's not real. You begin to question God. You begin to question if there is a God. From time to time, you come across intellectual arguments that convince you that maybe, maybe there is no God. Maybe this is all fake. 
Some of you today have been struggling with why did God let this happen to me? Why? Why does God allow evil in the world? Why did he allow this in my life? I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. If you love me, God, why would you let something that hurts so bad happen to me? The devil is attacking your faith. But you know this, that God has a plan that's greater than yours. That God's will is greater than yours and that he loves you and he has a good plan for your life. And although you don't understand every step of the way, someday when we're all together with him, it'll all make sense. And we'll realize that he was using our lives for his glory, for his purpose. And that the trials didn't come to punish us, they came to make us strong. We thank you for that, Lord. Father, we commit today, we commit today, Lord, that when the trials come our way, we won't look at them as proof that God doesn't exist, as proof that God didn't love us, as proof that God didn't answer our prayer. No, we will look at the trials the way the scripture tells us. And we will count it all joy knowing that this is producing in us endurance and strength and wisdom so that we can be used by God. We will not let go or abandon our faith. We will hold strong. In fact, God, when trials come my way, I'm going to get closer to you. I'm going to trust you even more in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.